Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. From clippers to coping strategies, Troy Staten has expanded what it means to be a barber shop. His program, called More Than a Shop, provides literacy help, health screenings, art shows, and more at more than a dozen barber shops and salons, making Baltimore better one haircut at a time. Troy Staten, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I want to start um, with your background. You grew up in Baltimore. Talk to me a little bit about what that was like growing up here in Baltimore City. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Baltimore native. I grew up in southwest Baltimore. Mm-hmm. When I say southwest, my early childhood was in Cherry Hill. And then from my, lean, my um, teenage days was in Lexington Terrace. And mm-hmm. um, it was very good upbringing, very good upbringing. You know, community family-oriented communities and neighborhoods. I'm a product of what it says, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. You know, there was a lot of accountability. There was a lot of uh, positive role models there. And there was a lot of love and support. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of love and support. You started cutting hair at a very young age. What got you into that? What made you think, I want to be a barber? So, um... What happened was early 80s was me and my brother. My mother would cut my hair and I was in think like junior high school. And at that time I was like, no, I can't do this one. So um after she would cut it, I would take the clippers and I would go into the bathroom to straighten out <laughs> me and my brother's haircuts. And from there, it just like came natural to me. And from there I would cut my brother's hair, then I would cut all my other friends. I took an interest in it because it came natural to me. I understood haircuts like mathematics. People understand math and you get what I'm saying? It just came natural to me. So um, I'm cutting hair. I'm on the porch. I'm doing my friend's hair. I started going to this barbershop and I would sit in the barbershop and I would wash them all day. And um, I thank these two men because um, they were the fishermen that taught me how to fish. Mm-hmm. They said, if you give a man a fish, he eat for a day, but if you teach him how to fish, he'll be able to take care of himself and his family. Mm-hmm. And these two men, they were the fishermen. They applied a lot into me. They helped me. They motivated me. From there, it was time to go to school, high school. So this was in the early 80s. Like I say, the Westside Skill Center had just opened up mm-hmm. a couple years prior. My brother, he was going to... Emerson Westside. He was like, they got a barbering program over here. You know, and I was like, I ain't for that. He was like, you know, like your peers do. These uh-huh. boys up here, they can cut hair better than you. And I was like, they can <laughs> cut hair better than me. But that was his way of, you know, motivating me to go there. So I transferred up to Emerson to the Westside Skill Center and I took a barbering up there. And um, I met two other great mentors. The first two great mentors was Mr. Heavy and Kazi Livingston that lived in, that was from Cherry Hill Barbershop. Mm-hmm. Then when I went to high school at the Emerson Westside, I came across two Baltimore legends. That was uh, Willie Hurry from Hurry's Afro Heart and okay. Cornell Cottrell from Hair Dimensions. They were my barber instructors. And um, 
I went there and I was in barbering and they had like student competition. I was doing things for the for the barbering for the school. And um I got my first job professionally working for Mr. Cornell Cottrell from Head Dimensions. Mm-hmm. And um he was like, Okay, you want to do this? And he started showing me, and he was a barber stylist. Mm-hmm. And he did barbering and he also um he did women hair as well. So working with Cornell, he brought me a tool and he showed me the aspect of barbering, styling. And from there, I worked with Cornell and I met other great barbers and other great stylists through the introduction of working with Mr. Cottrell. He introduced me to this phenomenal woman. God rest her soul right now, Miss Claudia McGee. She had a salon on Park Avenue that was called Main Attractions, mm-hmm. where she was just phenomenal when it came to hair coloring. And I worked with her under her mentorship as well. And then um, later on, I went to, um, I moved around the city for a few other shops. And then my last stint as a barber, as me, as a tutor, was under one of the greatest barbers for the city was uh, Mr. Lenny Clay. Mm-hmm. from head um Lenny's House of Naturals. And with Mr. Lenny, he showed me that it was a lot more to being a barber than just cutting hair. Mm-hmm. He was a community advocate. At this particular location, there was great role models. You mm-hmm. know, there were judges, attorneys, um, the great Mr. Elijah Cummins. He was one of the clients, Oprah Winfrey, she would come through when she come to Baltimore because they had a relationship. Um Mr. Al Sanders, the news anchor, all of these individuals would come to Lenny's House of Naturals. And I was a kid, and he showed me that there was a lot more to barbering than just cutting hair. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like it inspired you to start this organization more than a shop. So tell me, what is that organization, and what are you doing for the community with it? So with more than a shop, like I say, with Mr. Lenny, he showed me that being a barber was more than just cutting hair. A lot of people think barbers just cut hair. But when you're a barber and you're in a neighborhood, in a community, we service the community in a lot of other ways that people really overlook or take for granted. You know, because we're there, we're accessible. You know, you advisors, you counselors, you um, resource providers. Mm-hmm. And so many different spectrums. You know, a person might need a mechanic. They come to the barber. Oh, man, my car acting up. I need a mechanic. Barbara said, well, let me send you to so-and-so. They, they can fix that. I need my grass cut. My, my children, they're getting too big. They don't want to cut my grass no more. So, all right, well, let me send you to this person right here. So we provide resources, and we help support the neighborhood. And what happened is um, as the thing started changing, I started realizing that um, we really do serve these purposes, and it needs to be brought a bit more to the forefront. So in 2018, there was an incident that took place with me. Mm-hmm. So pick it back further than that. 2015, I had a barbershop and a partner of mine that we was on Stroder and Fayette Street, right across from what used to be a, a, a Baltimore landmark a restaurant called Samson's. Mm-hmm. University of Maryland started in with the first phase of gentrification, and we were moved out of that location. Mm-hmm. 
like I said, I grew up in barbershops. I'd always been mentored. And I remember that um, we hear the guy say what would happen. And at that time, it became a reality. So yeah. um, it, it became a reality. Mm-hmm. You know, they moved the business out for whatnot. But my dedication to my community in Lexington Terrace and in Southwest Baltimore, I was not going to leave that community. So when we left that location, I chose to stay in the community. So I moved around the corner, about a quarter of a block away, half a block away, by Highlands Market. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a beautiful structure. And I'm also an art lover. So the barbershop that I had prior to that was called Salon 25. Mm-hmm. It was on Stroder and Fair. And me being an art lover and an art collector, I would bring the art from my personal collection and share it with the community and the children mm-hmm. to find out that the community and the adults knew less than the children. Sure. What was that like and, to see kids? I mean, their their faces must light up, but they come into a barbershop, they don't expect that, and they get sort of like almost a gallery show inside the barbershop. Well, with like say me being an art art lover and art collector, I understand that art is a lot of the children and the lifeline for the artists. Mm-hmm. And art shouldn't be hoarded. So with that, I was collecting African American art and I would bring it to the barbershop to share with the children pieces of African-American art with children so the kids in the neighborhood could see themselves in the art with Black images. Sure. Boys and girls and um, Black books and Black illustrations and Black authors. And there was also, we sat between the nestle of an alternative high school, XL Academy, mm-hmm. and James McHenry Elementary. So with that, I would bring the art in and I had started building relationships strengthening the relationships that I had with the neighboring schools. Mm-hmm. So the kids would come and they would see the art on the wall and it wasn't imposed, but it was there to make the environment a bit more appealing, relaxing, and engaging. The Free to Be More podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Check out Steam Kits for Kids at the Pratt. Children ages pre-K to fifth grade can learn more about science, technology, engineering, arts, and math with these fun kids. Stop by your local branch and pick one up today. In a lot of ways, were you sort of their first exposure coming into your barbershop? Were you their first exposure to art? I wouldn't say that. I'm not one to say that because, you know, I know that um, one of the things was that I believe in solutions over problems. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I already clearly understood that they took art out of public schools. Sure. So with that, I would bring it there. And what I found out was like when the kids would come in, they would see the work and they'd be like, well, Mr. Troy, who's that? What's this? And I would explain to them, you know, this is the artist. This is the title. This is a lithograph. This is a G clay. This is an original piece on canvas. Mm-hmm. And I would explain it to them, and I would have the art books there as well to give them a point of reference where they can read up for themselves. As mm-hmm. well as, you know, we have tablets to address the information deserts that so the kids could go online and Google, because at first you could give them a book. These mm-hmm. days you have to, a tablet, you know, in a barbershop for the kids so they can, you know, catch up on their homework, do a Google search, or while they're waiting. So, 
I understood all of these components and it brought all of them and made it accessible to the community. Mm-hmm. Feels like More Than a Shop really started with your passion for art, but it's grown so much since. Yes. So yes. what other things have you been able to bring into the barbershop and like sort of a lot of different barbershops? What other services have you guys been able to provide inside this welcoming environment? So with that, um, like you say, and that's very true, it started with the art. And with the art being there, that brought forth the Love's Art Project. Mm-hmm. We're bringing art to the community, community to the arts. Mm-hmm. And from there, when we moved, we moved to Hollis Street to, and it was a new start, it was a new beginning. So we called that New Beginnings. Mm-hmm. And New Beginnings had um beautiful space, you know, a Baltimore rod iron staircase, spiral, high ceilings, wood floors, and with this excessive wall space, me being an art collector, I turned it into an art gallery an alternative art space. And with this art space, you know, I collaborated with the neighboring institutions, such as um, Micah, mm-hmm. the Reginald Lewis, the James E. Lewis at Morgan, Coppin State University, um, Stevenson University, collaborated with those and other creative alliance and other art institutions because I believe that I didn't want to just have a barbershop where we just put posters on the wall. If you want to do it, you do it right. And I had um, formed a relationship with these two great mentors. One thing about me is I have always been mentored. Mm I understand that we are only as healthy as the people that we surround ourselves with. Sure. And um, I had built a relationship with these two great art legends, Sam Gilliam, Mm -hmm. abstract artist, and Mr. Lou Stovall a master printmaker. Wow. And when I talked to Sam and Lou and I told them what I wanted to do, Sam Gilliam, he said, Troy, if you're going to do it, you know what I expect from you. <laughs> you're going to do it, you're going to do it right, or we're not going to do it at all. Mm-hmm. And um, he unthrust that on me. So when I opened up New Beginnings, I started bringing in renowned artists to the barbershops mm-hmm. and started holding art exhibitions on a 90-day to 120-day cycle. So we will host a show like every three to four months with a different artist, a different subject matter. Mm -hmm. You know, from abstract to children artists, we featured the works by the great Renee Stout Mm -hmm. to local artists such as uh, Ernest Shaw, Jarrell Gibbs, Poncho Brown, where we have artists from Atlanta such Mm -hmm. as Charlie Palmer, Paul, good night. So we had several artists, world-renowned artists, and exhibitions that took place at New Beginnings Barbershop. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um, we started addressing other issues. We started doing food drives with the Maryland Food Bank, and we did a pretty good food drive with that. We partnered up with one of the neighboring institutions in the community that was a St. Peter's Adult Day Program. Mm-hmm. It's a St. Peter's Adult Day Program that was on Poppleton in Hollins, where they work with the mentally challenged, we would have them come in and like, you know, have someone from their program to come in and be at the barbershop to work with their social skills as well as to help us out. So mm-hmm. they would come out and clean up and help, but it helped them with their social skills. Yeah, that's amazing. Because, because you're interacting, you're getting outside of the facility. 
mm-hmm. that you're with people on a day to day, you know. And we had two. One was a young gentleman named Dorian, and the other one was uh, he's still around, amazing young man named Antoine. Mm-hmm. They became part of the New Beginnings family because mm-hmm. they were there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Everyone knew them. They cleaned up, and we, we you know, we did that. Um, as well as uh, six years ago, we partnered up with Kaiser Permanente to address the mental and the physical health and the health and well-being for us doing um, health care screenings. In year one, we did um, the pilot. Mm-hmm. We did the pilot with Kaiser Permanente with good health and gray hair at New Beginnings, and we did 117 screenings. Wow. The second year, we had um, expanded with a total of four shops. Mm-hmm. We did 300, and then we had expanded to six shops and more throughout the 21223 with Kaiser Permanente with good health and gray hair. And going into the pandemic with the expansion in a 21223 in Southwest Baltimore, we had exceeded over 5,000 healthcare screenings with a collaboration of six different shops and salons. That's amazing. What is it about the environment of a barbershop or a salon that makes people feel like it's a place of trust where they can get a health screening that maybe they wouldn't go to a doctor's office for? Well, that's quite simple because like you said, it's not a place that seems the barbershop is a trusted space. Mm -hmm. You know, a good example, you and your stylist, (laughs) You and your stylist have a much more personal, intimate relationship than you might have with your, you know, me with your significant other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Your whether whether it's your husband, your wife, you know what I mean. But they know things more about you than you know about yourself. So you're not feeling well, and, and you can tell. And they trusted individuals. So mm-hmm. with that, it was like okay, we can work with that because we trust it. And then going into this collaboration with Kaiser Permanente. The one thing that I stressed was that um, we can't, this cannot be a one and done. You can't come in here one time, one year and do this. You know, these are people that just trust in us. We trust in them. And if we're going to do it, it has to be an ongoing and a trustworthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Because once y'all leave, everyone's going to come back to me. They're going to bring forth accountability to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, we did that, and we've been able to be pretty successful in that. So in 2015, like I said, that's when we had the Love Our Project, and we started with um, Good Health and Good Hair. I was also a social innovator as well through the David Warnock Fellowship in 2015. Mm-hmm. Then in 2018, I had advanced to the Baltimore Court Fellow mm-hmm. under Fagan Harris. And in 2018, no, 2020, I became a fellow for OSI, Open Society Institute. So I'm a fellow presently for Open Society Institute. And in 2018, um, there was an incident that took place at the barbershop where I became a victim of a senseless shooting. Sure. I've heard you talk about this before. Um, In 2018, I mean, you had already been providing all these wraparound services, people really knew you and loved you in that community, and you became a victim of violence in 2018. Tell me what happened and how that's impacted your life going forward. Actually, this week would be the third year anniversary. Sure. So what happened was it was Halloween, and one of the things we do is 
Every year, we provide a safe space. When I say provide a safe space, we provide trick-or-treat candles. We have a big old trash can, one of the big 50, 60-gallon trash. We fill it up with candy. And um, the candy we fill it up with, it's not, no, it's that real good candy. You get what I'm saying? Like, and um, because, like I say, I believe in um, solutions over problems, and I'm not for endangering of others. So what it was, people knew that you could bring your kids to the barbershop and they could trick-or-treat. Like I say, plus I was in neighboring of three schools. Mm-hmm. You know, so on Holland's Market, let's say we had XL Academy that was on Stroll and Saratoga. We had James McHenry that was right there at um, Holland's and Stroder. And we had Vivian T. Green that was up on McCullough, but as, as well as across from Highlands Market. Mm-hmm. And with that, um, we would bring the kids, the candy, and they let everybody know they could bring the kids and trick or treat there. Sure. So what happened, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, around 3, 3.30, and I realized it was only God sent because we hadn't even started distributing the candy yet for the kids. Mm-hmm. Some gentleman comes running in with a mask and just starts shooting random. And in that random act, no one, I was two people that was here was myself and one of my clients. But no, he was, he was hit in the foot and I had been hit. I had three holes in the back of my neck. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I had became a victim until after everything went down. And I did a survey of like, was everybody all right? And everybody was like, no, true, you bleed. And I'm like, I'm bleeding. And I felt this warm sensation. And then it became a hot burning feeling in the back of my neck mm-hmm. and um at that moment when i realized i wasn't paralyzed and i had been hit i became angry sure angry but that anger brought forth because it was like you know i could have lost my life and my work hasn't been done mm-hmm. so it brought forth a greater sense of urgency and then in that incident um i think the team at new beginnings because they they stepped up and they did everything that was needed to secure the, the barbershop and myself. Mm-hmm. And it was took it down to shock trauma. And um, as I'm in shock trauma, you know, this is a barbershop. You got to remember, this is 2018. This is a barbershop in Southwest Baltimore mm-hmm. where, like, you know, didn't have the greatest reputation. I'm thinking, like, you know, the media is going to come in and they're going to find the worst people to interview in the community. But that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. What had actually happened was, when they went to interview everybody and they pulled up on the scene and they Googled, you know how everybody do, they Googled things, they saw the work that was done at New Virginia. Mm-hmm. And then when they found out there was me, and um, I'm like, they're going to turn my barbershop down. But that wasn't it. Everybody interviewed spoke highly of the work that I had been doing. But I never looked at myself as doing any work. You know what I mean? My thing was addressing the need in my community. Mm-hmm. And, um, the way the city had surrounded and rallied behind me and my family during my time of need, that had gave me a greater sense of purpose and let me know that whatever I was doing was doing it right. And I was like, from this point on, what I'm doing at this one location, this needs to be replicated throughout the city through other barbershops and beauty salons. Because we're more than just barbers. We're more than just salons. We're more than just stylists. More than a shop that brought forth more than a shop. Download the latest celebrity book club titles at the Pratt. PrattLibrary.org always has a look at what's new in the Pratt collection. 
Sign up for your library card today and start downloading for free. You're free to be more at the Pratt. And how much has that expanded since that 2018? I mean, you were doing stuff in your one shop, but now there's like a whole network of shops that are providing so many wraparound services for people now, sort of spearheaded by you. So what it is, which is more than a shop. So right now we're in several joint collaborations. We're working with Ms. Repka and R&D Associates uh, with John Hopkins University, where we're addressing community issues as far as like sexual awareness and sexual education to address the misinformation, right? That's with R&D Associates. I'm a part of the Trauma Response Care Act with Councilman Z. Cohen, mm-hmm. as well as work with YPR, Young People in Recovery, as far as addressing the opioid issue and opioid distribution, where we were just Saturday, they had uh, the second um, national take back where people were bringing their unused medication. So I'm a part of the YPR and we distribute um, Norcan through barbershops and beauty salons because we understand we are right there with the people in the community, as well as working with uh, NR Pratt. Mm-hmm. with literacy information and distributions with the barbershops, as well as um, I am right now in collaboration with the CDC with the COVID-19 vaccination information distribution. Mm-hmm. So, and we have a cohort right now of 14 barbershops and beauty salons throughout Baltimore City that's strong. But the thing with it is we have actually 20 plus other participating shops that is involved throughout Baltimore City, Mm -hmm. from East Baltimore, South Baltimore, Park Heights, Righteous Town, and various other locations throughout Baltimore City, where we're addressing the issues with our community, as well as um, right now, in the early stages of a collaboration with a pretty prosperous collaboration with the Maryland Food Bank. Wonderful. Just Just to name a few. Just sure. Sounds like just to like just the tip of the iceberg of what you guys are doing. How vital is it? Do you feel that a lot of these solutions are community grown in a place that people are coming to anyway and trust? Like, how important is it that there isn't sort of outside institutions that are trying to solve these problems and get people in the doors? They're already embedded in this community and trying to solve the individual problems of the community. Yes. Do do do. You said it, you said it, <laughs> you said it, you said it, you said it. A lot of our issues are within us, within mm-hmm. us in the community, but we are trusted individuals. So one of the things, one of the key components with the more than a shop component is, it's doing our regular meetings that we educate and we bring forth the information and we diffuse the misinformation and the myths that exist in our community. Mm-hmm. You know, barbers and barbershops are the cornerstones of our community. Mm-hmm. They have not been tainted, such as, um, you know, the hospitals, the churches, the schools, and they trust it. So we have to withstand and withstand our integrity. Mm-hmm. You know, because barbershops have always been a cornerstone of our community, mm-hmm. mainly in African-American communities. One of the historical facts is that, you know, the civil rights movement actually started in a barbershop before they moved it to the church. Mm-hmm. 
So a lot of things have actually taken place in the barbershop. So now we're bringing it back to the forefront. The barbershops, and what I'm aware of is that um, we are the gateway to our communities because most individuals live within a four-block radius. Mm-hmm. And what sits in the middle of every four blocks? There's a barbershop or beauty salon. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, we work in collaboration with other community resource providers, such as um, Center for Urban Family, Family Lean, and the mm-hmm. Park Heights West Center. So mm-hmm. you bring the information and the awareness and the resources and resource providers, and they all work together and collaborate because a person can come to the barbershop. I might need to get my um, come home from a misfortunate incident where a person might have been arrested or whatnot, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, say like, well, I got to get my uh, ID and whatnot. So one of the collaborations that we have is with JOFT, huh. Job Opportunity Task Force, mm-hmm. where they just did their, uh, I think it's the third or fourth, six to six all night event, where they provide legal services to individuals, individuals from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. because they understand that people they need these legal services, expungements, medical health, and other services. They are out in the streets. So I've been a part of working with them where I provide barbers for that. Mm-hmm. And they just had their last one last week. So one of my barbers, Rel, he was one of the participating barbers. So you understand? Yeah. We address these issues in the communities with these collaborating partners. Because like I say, a person might come home and they say, well, I need to get my ID and I'm trying to get a job. You can refer them to JOFT. And then mm-hmm. from there, you can refer them to also to uh, Center for Urban Families. Mm-hmm. So the barber going to be the first place. First place, what do they want to come and get a haircut and get an outfit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are involved in the Healing Cities Act. You mentioned that. In what way do you feel like you can help drive something like that forward with how embedded you are in the communities? Well, Healing City is... It's needed. It's mm-hmm. great. It it helped me because, like I said, um, I've been in Healing City. And when it's Healing City and in a trauma response, when an incident took place, by me having information on how to deal with information and deal with trauma, when I became a victim, it was a great sense of security to know that I have some resources, some help, and I most importantly, I had the information that was needed. So with that, Healing City has really taken off and it's, we are actively writing the template for what can be replicated throughout the nation. If we can do it here in Baltimore with the high level of crime, um, trauma, mental abuse, mental illness, and address this here, it can be replicated. And Healing City is serving a great purpose due to the great involvement in leadership with um, Zico. He's he's really, really, really dedicated. And I'm not just saying that, you know, Zeke is a real dedicated towards the community and advocating for trauma response. Well, we're sort of wrapping up and I want to ask you a question I've been asking a lot of people. Um, you know, you're out there, you're really making a difference in our city what gives you hope for the future of Baltimore? Um, first of all, I want to say I'm not. I'm just doing my part. That's all. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just doing my part. 
what gives me hope for the city of Baltimore is that uh, this Baltimore that we are in today is a much more promising. And when I say promise, um, this isn't the same Baltimore that I grew up in, where Baltimore, as a small child, was very segregated. People from East Baltimore stayed in East Baltimore. People from um, Holland Town stayed in Holland Town. People from Patterson Park stayed in Patterson Park. People from East Baltimore stayed in East Baltimore. Those days are gone. Mm-hmm. Baltimore is a more interactive city. People, they get out, there's a lot more exposure, there's a lot more opportunity, job placement. Um, we still have that blue collar mindset is, you know, we stand together, we stick together, just like with the Ravens. Mm-hmm. But um, this is a much better Baltimore for my children and for my grandchildren. And I see it steady moving forward. And um, I like the direction. There is hope. There's opportunity in Baltimore. The thing with Baltimore today is if you don't seize the opportunity, it's no one's fault but your own. You know, they have um, so much to offer right now. You know what I mean? Black Baltimore has social innovative labs, job placement. They have um, reentry program. They have trauma response. You know what I mean? You have um, issues that's being addressed to the forefront. It was no longer, you know, people talk about, well, they should have been doing this if they was doing that. No, we have people in key positions that are doing things that are not politicians. They're individuals such as myself, mm-hmm. everyday people that believe in solutions over problems and bringing forth the solution in their community. One hub, one step, one person at a time. Not the hope, that's the reality of what Baltimore is today. It can only get better. Mm-hmm. I feel good when I see my grandson out playing he's three years old my yeah. granddaughters they they you know eating at harvard east and doing things and playing in patterson park and these different things that once upon a time i couldn't do that well Troy Staten, thank you so much for everything you're doing in our community and thank you for your time today thank you very much looking for a way to get your high school diploma you can apply for career online high school a free online program to help adults reach their educational goals. Graduates typically finish the program in 18 months. The library will even help you connect by borrowing a tablet and hotspot. Career Online High School is now available in Spanish translation. Get more information at prattlibrary.org. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow the Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another Free to Be More conversation. Thanks for listening.